BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel... Go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? We just watched The Adventurous Blonde, a 1937 Torchy Blaine picture. Who starred in this picture? Oh, <laughs> you stumped me. Uh, Glenda was it, something? Was it Glenda Farrell? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and Tom Kennedy as, <laughs> as Gahagan, <laughs> of course. Our favorite. Yeah, this is the third Torchy Blaine film in the series. If you haven't already, we did a previous episode on the first two Torchy Blaine films. Uh, As a refresher, this uh, series is about a uh, spunky gal reporter, Torchy Blaine, who's blonde. And the, the titles of these films are very much obsessed with that. So she is the adventurous blonde of the title. And she is a... She's in a relationship mm-hmm. with a police detective. Yes. Named Steve. Who, McBride. Steve McBride, who leaks a lot of stories to her. And also Steve McBride, ironically, is constantly not making her a bride and constantly inadvertently leaving her at the altar. What hilarity. <sighs> These two crazy kids. I guess I'll just say before we start talking about it in depth, this was by far my favorite Torchy Blaine film so far of the three we've watched. What about it made it special? It has wacky reporters doing dumb shit that no reporter would ever do outside of like the 1930s. <laughs> and it's just very odd. And it has like a nice uh, 
kind of even though it's very quirky and very like doesn't really make a lot of sense and half the time you're just staring at whoever you're watching it with in in just bafflement of like what is going on it like it's fun it's entertaining i think the previous two ones were entertaining in spots but kind of had a lot of like blah 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 like plot blah 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 exposition blah 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 here are these characters you don't care about and this one knew how to make things a little bit more fun a little more jazzy so should we get to it? What What's the uh, premise of the movie? How does it start? The movie uh, kicks off when, well, unfortunately with the uh, embarrassing uh, racist trope of having uh, a black porter on a train. Like, why? 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 Just why? But anyway, I guess that's, that's a, I guess we watch a lot of old films for this podcast. And like, that's just something you always see. And it's always like, ugh. we do see a lot of that. What do you make of it? Well, it's like it's like it's like that was the period of time where uh, if there was going to be um, an African American actor on screen, they would usually be portraying either a maid or if they're a woman or a porter or some sort of person like you know uh, helping people on trains if they were a man. And unfortunately, the only two black characters in this are a porter and a maid, and it's like, ugh. but uh, different. Kind of leaves a bad taste. In it the leaves mouth. a bad taste in the mouth. I mean, a different time, obviously, you kind of come to expect it, but it's like you're like, oh, yikes, <laughs> <laughs> that's not good to see. The central mystery of this. Do you want to talk about that before we go into sort of the beginning of the plot? When we go into the beginning of the plot, we kind of would get to the okay. Mystery. Well, yeah, because I, yeah, I feel like we need to build this up a little bit, and make it make it make Cause sense. Because because I don't think we can make it make sense. Yeah, I think you need to let that go now. <laughs> Before we go any further, you need to let that go. You guys need to accept, hopefully, along with us, that the Torchy universe is just truly absurd. <laughs> Things are just going to happen, and you're just going to have to go with it. And if you're if you're a person who's very much you know dedicated to logic, and you can't you can't really enjoy a story, if um then this isn't for you. Yeah, this isn't for you. You know, and that's fine. But for everybody who likes just weird shit happening, uh, this is this might be your movie. <laughs> so um. So basically, uh, this porter gives Torchy and the woman sitting next to her, an older woman, uh, telegrams. Or telegraphs? I don't know what the difference is. I think telegrams. Telegrams, right? Isn't a telegraph the device? I don't know, Kevin. I'm not from the 1930s. Aren't you? Nah, see here, see? (laughs) The Great Depression, see? (laughs) (laughs) Operator, operator, get me New York. (laughs) from the 30s <laughs> um uh, so anyways you know how like people talk about breaking up with each other via text and how that's awful like joe jonas broke up with like taylor swift over text i think i did not know that yeah apparently well yeah millennial facts well in this case the torchy got a breakup telegram that was actually addressed to the woman sitting next to her it was a mix-up so the woman's very embarrassed torchy feels awkward torchy Got a telegram, I guess, from Steve, her, her boyfriend. Um, fiance, actually. And, uh, yeah, they do. They have to do the old switcheroo after that. But Torchy saw enough to notice that this woman was told by her lover, uh, a man named Harvey, to not contact him anymore. Brutal. Would you ever break up with a woman over telegram, Kevin? I'm not a 1930s man. <laughs> I can see you doing that because you thought it was funny. <laughs> do not contact me again stop (laughs) you suck stop (laughs) you smell bad stop can you even even if i wanted to can you send telegrams that's a really good question what are like if we if we had to get a telegram out there how could we do it is it possible i imagine no because why why would it be why would it be possible So, so a bunch of hipsters can get into that like you know the hipsters got into vinyl. The hipsters get into all this shit. Is is telegraph <laughs> telegraph machines the next thing? It wouldn't be great if instead of uh, like when you and I are, are temporarily separated uh, during the day, if instead of texting each other, we just sent telegrams. You know, this would be like some like some like uh like some Brooklyn. It would be like the Brooklyn Telegraph Company, and they'd be like, "Yeah, man, like everyone's in front of their screens all the time. What if we communicated in an instantaneous way that fostered more connection?" And it would be people selling <laughs> <laughs> very expensive telegrams. <laughs> Would you like that if I like sent you a telegram asking how you're doing and it's like delivered by some little really Natalie attired young man? 
<laughs> we got a whole we got a whole business. Let's quit the podcasting game so we could just get into like uh, the the telegram renaissance. <laughs> this is what people want. <laughs> we'll have a startup. We'll move back to Brooklyn. It'll be great. <laughs> oh man, I I just yeah I I dig it. But anyways, so. Then we go to the police station. Where, yeah, and, and truly, we're, we're, we're trying to do a new format where we say up front what the mystery is. But I think, you guys, I just want to stress, we're not just ditching that because we're like, you know, we forgot about it. We're ditching that because in this case, it wouldn't make any sense beyond giving you this initial context to understand what's going on. Because <laughs> it doesn't really make sense when you say it out loud unless you know all the background. And it still doesn't make sense. So what's going on back at the police station? So at the police station, Detective uh, McBride is walking into the police station and he's immediately harassed and teased by a group of four reporters who are mocking him because he has love and happiness in his life. <laughs> so that part I felt was pretty realistic because I've met some of your reporter buddies. Reporters are a pretty miserable bunch. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dark hearted. They're cynical, they're joyless, misanthropic monsters, basically. I mean, is that fair to say? They're pretty bad, but have you ever heard of lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I like every year like a study comes out where it's like journalists die early and drink too much and eat too much and are just like and you're like, oh my god, just roasting ourselves. Um in this case, it, it's it's so juvenile and it's so crazy. Um, because it's not that they're just teasing him. These men, these four grown men who are reporters on the crime beat and, you know, hang out at the police station to get scoops, they throw rice at McBride, as you do in a wedding. They talk and sing in unison, sing bridal songs, sing hip-hip-hooray songs. They follow him around. They, they, if I, if I, <laughs> These men are like in a in a trance of just like mockery. It, 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 it's almost frightening. They are so. And I just want to point out one thing. And this is this this is how you know you're watching a really ridiculous old movie from the 1930s. One of the names of these esteemed men of the press, these journalists. One of them is named Muggsy. <laughs> <laughs> everyone mugsy in the 1930s is there a reason that i'm missing i feel like that name comes up a lot and i don't understand why what is it a nickname for mugford i mean i just what is is this byline mugsy mugsy jones of the globe i mean what the i mean can you imagine Having your name be Muggsy and you going around throwing rice at police officers and making fun of them for getting married <laughs> like an adult? What what universe is this in? I'm so delighted. These like four reporters make the movie. They're just fucking agents of chaos. They're the four reporters of the apocalypse. It's just nuts. They don't behave. You know, people people get an idea. I mean, I'm a reporter. People get an idea of what reporters do based on media. And God help anybody who saw this and came away thinking, huh, I guess that's kind of a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you imagine if I stood outside, like, Walmart headquarters and, like, found out a VP was getting married and just harassed the fuck out of them through rice? Hey, you gonna get married? <laughs> I wouldn't, this is important later, I think I would be a little bit upset if somebody in the on the Walmart comps team or one of the retailer comps team was marrying a journalist who was then going to continue to cover said beat. That would be problematic. But I certainly wouldn't be, like, following them around and, like, grabbing a bunch of other reporters on the beat and singing songs at them because that's insane. <laughs> As you allude, some of these reporters are upset and even Steve's superior is upset because he's giving a lot of exclusive stories to his fiance, mm -hmm. Torchy. So that that is uh, causing a lot of rivalry uh, amongst the reporters. And and before we, 
I think it's crucial to say Torchy covers the crime beat for her paper. And then these other four reporters cover the crime beat for another paper. In other words, those four reporters all work for the same paper. Old Muggsy needs a lot of help. <laughs> he needs a lot of rewrites. But they love him. He's a fun jokester, so they got to keep him happy. So they just send three other reporters to help him out. That's my headcanon. <laughs> That's what I think happened here. So is there a situation where four reporters would cover the exact same beat at the same time working together? Like breaking news? There's no breaking news. No, I mean, like, but like if there were the breaking news desk and they, that, then you'd all maybe have the same title and be technically doing the same thing because there's a lot of break. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You're I, a reporter. You tell me. I don't know. I mean, I have a bunch. I work on the retail desk and there's a bunch of us and we all do kind of different companies, you know, and we all sit around and shoot the shit sometimes, but it's certainly not in the sense of like, you know, we all got to do the, we all got to hang out in the same place. And then, you know, no, I mean, this is crazy. I figured they were all, I mean, for, I spent a lot of the movie thinking that they were um, all for different newspapers, which would have made sense. <laughs> That'd be even more of a fantasy today to think there would be like five newspapers in one town. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I figured it was good. I thought maybe when they all, okay, that basically they all work for the same papers. So they all have the same publisher and they meet with him later in the film. I thought they were all going to be um, like a Condé Nast situation where it's like, this guy does the Sunday magazine. This guy does the newspaper. I was like, I was like making, I mean, this is how crazy I am. This crazy movie's happening. Things don't make any sense. And then my brain is trying to like keep up with it by like inventing some media conglomerate from the Torchy Blaine universe to make it all make sense. This movie is, I can just say that this movie has quite literally driven me insane because I've written like this whole screed of Torchy Blaine fan fiction Bible in my head because of it. <laughs> That's what this has done to me. So these reporters, as we say, that they're upset that Torchy is getting these big scoops. You know Muggsy would quit. You know Muggsy would quit and do Substack, right? What would he call it? Muggsy's Musings? Ooh, I like that. You give me one. The Mugshot. Oh, that's that's great. <laughs> Mugshot. He'd get very he'd get very controversial and then get canceled on Twitter. <laughs> and then he'd like dedicate it to some like very arcane topic about how like you know, or he'd become obsessed with Torchy and how much she sucks, and all of his all of his posts would be about that. <laughs> you think he he'd become. Uh... Like a men's rights activist? Yeah. Ooh, Muggs rights activist. <laughs> nah, Muggsy's okay. I think Muggsy's, Muggsy's harmless. That's why he needs three other reporters to help him on the beat. He's so busy doing jokes, as we will explain in a few minutes. Sorry we're taking so long to get to the point, but this movie does as well. So we're sort of giving you the inside experience of what it was like to watch this. So, okay, so these reporters decide what they say. Well, you know... Torchy is out of town for some indeterminate reason, and she's getting ready to get back into town, and her fiancé, Steve, is excited because as soon as she gets back into town, they're going to get married. And these reporters say, wouldn't it be hilarious? Wouldn't it be a laugh riot if we contrived some way to delay that marriage? So that's, that's the first thing you have to buy. That it would be funny... To delay someone else's marriage for no good reason. Journalists hate love. <laughs> That's the one thing we can't stand. So that part of the movie worked for you. That was realistic. Yeah, that totally, that totally tracks. So they said, okay, the best. But, but why do they want to do this? Because she's getting scoops, right? They kind of want they kind of want to prank her, and kind of get revenge on her. That's part of it. I think the main reason that there's their their dicks. Yeah. Uh, so the best way they can come up with to delay the marriage is, here's what we do. Let's fake a murder. <laughs> As you do. If you want to fake a murder and fake it convincingly, as these people do, it becomes a mammoth conspiracy very quickly. Because, like, the coroners are open to it. <laughs> like, 800 people get fired after this. <laughs> so they, they get the coroner to agree to issue, like, a false report basically 
because they want to fake this murder. The idea is they're fake the murder, get Torchy to report on it, and make her look bad. Is that basically the gist of it? Yeah, and and then you know presumably you know the whole thing will also delay her and Steve getting married. See now, now my question is. If I fake a murder and get the coroner and all these other people to go along with it, thinking, aren't I, aren't I the one that's going to be looking bad at the end? I just imagine them writing down on a big whiteboard, like, one, fake murder, two, get Torchy to report on it, three, profit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bunch of question marks between two and three, like that uh, Cards Against Humanity card. I, I Yeah, and, and but then again, like, Sometimes I judge these movies because I'm like, oh, you know, like, yeah, journalists take themselves really seriously now. And there's been a whole, like, professionalization of the the job and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, you know, we're the, the fourth estate. But, like, you know, there, there's a lot of bu- crazy bullshit going on back in the day, you know. The, the press in this country started out as just crazy people, you know, attacking each other's political parties. You know, like, it, it's not as fancy as you'd think. It's sort of like medicine in that way, where you look back in the 1800s and you're like, oh my god, you're just like cutting off someone's leg casually? Cool. That That's not very professional. You know, in, in this case, it's like, you know, I never want to judge these movies too harshly because I'm always kind of like, maybe 1930s reporters in some cities were doing crazy shit like this. Pranking each other at the... I don't think any any pranks probably took on this level of intricacy, though. It's one thing to prank somebody by like switching the sugar and the salt shakers. Is there a sugar shaker? Sugar uh, bowl. But it's quite another to fake a murder. This is like putting a bomb in the sugar bowl. <laughs> and getting government employees to go along with the scheme. Oh, but it's a great joke, Kevin. It's a great joke. And they go and they talk about this with their boss. The they publisher. All work, the publisher, because they all work for the same person. And he's a little bit hesitant, but they... Eventually he says, ah, let's just do it. I was just waiting for the end of the scene where he was like, who are you people? (laughs) They don't even work there. They're just four bums who hang around the police station (laughs) and cook up schemes and think they're reporters. So this is like a a thought exercise. What do you think would happen if you and one of your reporter colleagues went to your editor (laughs) and said, we have a great idea for a joke? (laughs) We want to fake a news story. And maybe like Bloomberg would we'll we'll run it. And then we'll all have a good laugh at their expense. I think they'd be horrified. <laughs> would it be your last day? It, it, it would certainly probably raise a lot of questions on whether I should remain employed. And it would be like, you spent like the morning thinking of this instead of doing your job? <laughs> you could have been doing anything else and this is what you did. Yeah, it would be pretty bad. <laughs> it would be pretty bad. <laughs> so, and I, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you're, a, you're a business reporter. Yeah. And you're your day job. What story would you fake? Oh, hmm. Well, I always joked that, and you know, because these guys go balls to the wall, so why shouldn't I, right? Right. <laughs> Muggsy, who's he? <laughs> this is my time to shine as a hoaxer. I, I always joked that the, like, ideal you know not ideal but like that the story that would happen when all the retail desk was asleep would be that like jeff bezos of uh, formerly of amazon and doug mcmillan uh, the ceo of walmart got into a fist fight at a costco (laughs) and that would be like the retail you know like that would be the retail you know armageddon situation and uh maybe i'd try to fake that (laughs) see it in order <laughs> to fake that, I'd hire a bald guy. Well, no, you'd have to do what these people did, which yeah. is they went to people and said, "Will you join us in this scheme?" So you'd have to like call Jeff Bezos and say, "Jeff, come on, Jeff, I got a big <laughs> opportunity for you. You're gonna love this kid. You're in the movie business now. This is your chance to act." <laughs> yeah, I got, I gotta get on that. Get get the whole get the whole local Costco and in Indianapolis behind it. Get Doug McMillan behind it. We'll have a blast. Really fuck over some Wall Street <laughs> Journal reporter. <laughs> and me and my three three retail friends will be behind it. <laughs> and then for some reason, all those people agree to do it. 
Even though. <laughs> god and then i'll then i'll act shocked when it blows up in my fucking face because if you did like this you'd have to get the sources to agree to it you'd have to find people the equivalent of the coroner to confirm the story it's taken an awful lot of work and meanwhile there's like real news happening <laughs> you're missing yeah like oh geez louise i now i'm, I'm gonna write this down because i feel like like i can make this happen <laughs> so confident i don't know who i'd want to mess up on the retail beat but <laughs> everyone seems very nice <laughs> i don't get the ill will towards torchy just because she's well i feel a, a number of things because these reporters they are they are speaking truth the truth when they say that it is when you when you are married to somebody who works basically and is all you know it is a subject of your beat that's that's highly problematic. Yes, I think you do get it. Like one of the things you cover is Walmart. And if the CEO of Walmart was married to a reporter who was covering Walmart. Yes. I think he'd be pretty annoyed. By I, that. I, w I would I would be like, I shouldn't be covering Walmart. That's not appropriate. Like you if you went and became a counsel for Walmart, I don't think I could cover it anymore. So do you think Torchy is unethical? Yes. <laughs> And if you think she's unethical now, guys, just wait. Just wait, folks. I mean, I love Torchy. I'm a big fan of the character. I love it. So, like, obviously, I'm rooting for her. And in my when I'm in my movie going hat, in my movie going hat, I'm rooting for her. You love her. At one point yeah. during the picture, you boisterously called out, "Our first daughter must be named Torchy." Yes, yes. And then I was thinking, all right, if we had a son. We could name him uh, Gagan <laughs> after the poetry spouting, singing fat Irish cop who's also in the movie and is always a delight. And then I was thinking if we had a kid that we didn't really like, we could name them Muggsy. Not so sure about this one, Kevin. Ah, that's old Muggsy. We'll just uh, put him put him over here. <laughs> we have to make sure that Muggsy doesn't get to hear this podcast. I know, years from now. future Muggsy. <laughs> Gotta take this one off. Take this one down. <laughs> Patreon only. <laughs> Don't want to hurt poor Muggs' feelings. No, gotta gotta spare him. That would be a fun dog's name, Muggsy. Don't you think? Yeah, you'd look ridiculous at the dog park, but I mean, isn't that the whole point? What do you mean I'd look ridiculous by yelling, "Hey, Muggsy!" Muggsy, Muggsy, don't do that! You're desperately yelling for Muggsy to listen to you as he hurdles toward a line of traffic. <laughs> and then, how do you tell people when Muggsy died? So what's this fan, this dark fan fiction where Muggsy is a suicidal dog? We have a suicidal dog, Kevin. So maybe I'm just writing fan fiction about our lives. Our, our dog, Lanny, likes to try to escape and, you know, kill herself via car. So, you know, maybe Muggsy would be a similar type. So does Muggsy have like a tragic backstory? I don't know. Like a, like a really sad love affair? Muggsy's heart was broken. <laughs> someone was to jump in front of traffic. There you go. Maybe he just as a free spirit. Okay, so... It's like the car being driven by Muggsy's lost love. This is the only way he can get her attention. I, I want to... <laughs> Dog, dogs don't drive cars, Kevin. Oh, now who's being naive? <laughs> we live in Indiana now. Things do a little bit different here. Oh, the Hoosier way. Now, okay, I want to go back... We said how Torchy's definitely unethical. I mean, maybe she could cover the police beat in a different city, although I'd still say that that was iffy because it, it, it's, it, it's just an iffy situation. But do you think that M McBride's definitely being unethical too, right? Yeah, he's giving his girlfriend stories he's not giving to other reporters. Yeah, and it's like obviously those are going to make him look better because otherwise, you know, that's his girl, you know, that's his fiance. If I want to write a story, you know. Gonna... So I think you sympathize with Muggsy and his buddies. I, I don't sympathize with them. They're jackasses. <laughs> but like it's it's inappropriate for them to be in a romantic relationship like this because it's going to influence coverage and uh, in, in a way that's, you know, not beneficial to the public interest. Torchy's job is to cover the police honestly and without, you know, favor. <laughs> and when you're going to be married to one of the top detectives, you know, and it's not like she's working exclusively homicide cases and he's in you know the bunko squad the bunko squad what a squad uh you know 
it, she's directly covering him and works with him closely, and that's a problem. Yeah, not only that, she literally does directly work with him. They go out on cases together. Yeah. She's with him when he talks to witnesses sometimes. They should just become podcasters together. Then there's no issue. <laughs> there are times when she basically even tells him what to do on the case. Yeah. You know, I, I think any defense attorney would have an absolute field day with this also. And I think, I mean, could, couldn't she be setting up the paper for a massive lawsuit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's just a legal nightmare. Yeah, you know, and so I, I didn't, you know, obviously you grit your teeth when uh, Steve, you know, McBride's uh, uh, chief is saying, oh, she should stick to the women's pages. But it's like, she kind of shouldn't just, <laughs> she certainly shouldn't be covering the police beat, even though you get mad when that guy is like, you know, stick to the ladies things, cover the horticultural parade or whatever shit, you know. Like, There's nah. many things she can cover that aren't women's issues and also aren't, related to her husband to be she could become a she could become a business reporter exactly Just highly like respected highly respected beat um, everybody looks up to you everybody everybody lo- loves business reporters um <laughs> and no you know so yeah definitely definitely ethical issues but certainly doesn't excuse the thing is you know the the, the two rights do not make a wrong and uh you know, Torchy being unethical certainly does not excuse what her colleagues go on to do. You mean faking the murder? But I just want to say, I kind of love that this movie was willing to kind of like go into this and be like, what is the relationship between these reporters? Like people would be getting jealous of Torchy. I mean, reporters are no different than anyone else's professional jealousies. You look at somebody and they're scooping you and they're kicking your ass and you're like, ah, oh, damn it. You know, and, and so like, I, I sort of love that, you know, there was kind of like a bit of a more of a, you know, it, it wasn't just like the, a faceless mass of reporters in a scrum and then Torchy. It was like, these guys have personalities and they're going to, you know, try to one up her now. And, you know, everyone is jealous of her. And I, I kind of, I, I don't know, just kind of added a wrinkle to it that I thought was kind of fun. Even though it was insane and batshit, it was fun. <laughs> so is Torchy a bad reporter? No, she, I mean, she's is very... She, is she just getting stories because of uh, who she's sleeping with? I mean, that's... I mean, basically, in the films, let's just forget real world, world ethics, right? Um, in the films, she's basically acting as an agent of the police and solving crimes. She's not doing the traditional reporter role of, like, kind of just get, gathering information and figuring, you know... She's, like, literally going out and do... In this, in this movie, she actually impersonates a police officer at some point to obtain information. So she's basically a detective and is acting as such. And she's a very good detective. She solves all the cases she runs into uh, so far. We're three movies in, right? But she has a pretty good track record so far of kind of piecing everything together and getting people to confess and kind of making things happen to solve the case. But she, you know, as, as a reporter, she's good because she's getting all these scoops first, but she's getting them first because she's, I don't even, like, we're beyond her, you know, just you know, hooking up with McBride and getting the stories. Like she's getting the stories because she's literally there solving them. <laughs> and that is crazy, you know, and, and obviously, you know, that's not your reporter job to do. Shouldn't be doing that. It would be if I, to use the Walmart example, if I went and it was like, here's how you guys run your grocery business and then just doing stuff. And I happen <laughs> to be really good at it. It would not be, that <laughs> would not be good. And then you'd write about it. Yeah. And then I'd write about it and be like, Walmart really figured out it's, you know, the, this issue. And it, <laughs> That would be insane. <laughs> also, they would never let me because I don't know how to do those things. But, you know, like, so she's a great detective. You know, in the real world, she would be fired immediately for doing any of this. But good for her, I guess. <laughs> in the fictional world of kind of fictional reporters, she's a very fun, good good character for a reporter. So I, I, I definitely enjoy the character, even though all of this is unrealistic and does not really depict reality in terms of journalism so this is not true to your experience i think her i think her spunky personality and her go-getting attitude and her like willingness to really be there and kind of be present on her beat and like run things down i think that's something i've seen in fellow reporters and you know like the personality is there but the actual actions no (laughs) she's way way too close to this so none of your fellow reporters, uh, you know, by the way, I'm sleeping with a source. No. By the way, let's fake a crime. No. <laughs> Come no, on. That's just me. Just, yeah, just between us. <laughs> that's just, that's only me. <laughs> I don't know anyone like that. 
it's not to say sketchiness can't occur and that, you know, or that reporters are perfect people and perfect paragons. That's not. Because we're not talking about lawyers. Oh, jeez. Bunch of stiffs. That's what I say. The lawyer in this was a bad guy. The only lawyer we saw in this was some some tabloid sleaze who uh, tried to get an innocent man uh, sent to the chair. So that's what lawyers are like for. There you go. <laughs> well, we have big ideas, big dreams. We try to make big things happen. Big, big murders of innocent young men. Don't think there are too many young men walking around. <laughs> Let's thin the herd. Wow, getting into like survival of the fittest. Yeah, I didn't here. know we were gonna. This was a eugenics podcast. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Wake up, Jesus, Kevin. No, leave young men alone. <laughs> it's like, did an aging alpha male lion uh, sponsor this podcast? <laughs> Sit out the young men. We don't need more young males running around. It's like a, it's like an older lion typing at the keyboard on the phone with Kevin to try to get him to put that in there. We don't need them fathering cubs with the females in the pride. I mean. I just sit there nodding in my head. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. It makes you think. It makes you think. We don't need them eating the zebras. <laughs> Now, where the hell were we? Well, so we, we, they decided to fake a murder. Yeah. They convinced their editor, their publisher, whoever, that it's a good idea. So yeah. now the first, the next thing to do, they've roped in the coroner. They've roped in all these people. And now they need to find a victim. Tell us about that process. Uh, they, they basically find an actor whose big play is going to go up soon and he needs publicity. So they decide to get him some earned media. <laughs> but they're basically offering him an earned media uh you know, PR strategy where his... And it's, it's the person who sent the telegram at the beginning of the picture. Oh, right. <laughs> I forgot about that. So it's the telegram sender, a man who broke up uh, with a woman via telegram, and his name's Harvey, and he's like some washed-up actor. Harvey Hammond. Named after Hammond, Virginia... <laughs> named after Hammond, Indiana. Um, but he, yeah, he's going to do it. And we get to see him pantomiming being strangled with women's stockings. So obviously he's into some weird sex stuff. We know that from the jump. <laughs> they never explicitly say it, but we know don't, it. Don't, don't kink shame Harvey Hammond. I'm not kink shaming him, but you know, he's into the if rough stuff. If a man stuff. wants to be strangled with silk stockings, God bless him. Kevin, if you wanted that, then you could have just fucking asked for it. <laughs> you don't have to be all passive aggressive on our podcast in front of everyone. <laughs> People like what they like. Yeah, no, I'm, if you like that, just be safe, because autoerotic asphyxiation, you know, that's dangerous. Jesus. We are in rare form. <laughs> this movie just broke us. Okay. We're at Gehagen shouting incoherently. Gehagen shouting incoherently in the notes. Basically, that's the whole movie. I just want to emphasize how much I love this character. I do love him. I, I Unironically. Unironically. What, what, what's the, the source of the Gahagan appeal to Miss Kane? He's like a certain kind of Irish-American man where he's just all dreamy and is like, oh, the roses, what a beautiful day! And it's like just, you know, reciting poetry all the time. I just, I just love him. He's, he's, he's very whimsical. He's very fun. You're like, he's basically, to, re, to reemphasize, his job is not fellow detective or like squat or like beat cop. His job is chauffeur for the police he's a police officer but basically all he does is drive police around and drive torchy around yes that's right torchy receives driving services from a government agency which he covers Ooh, <sighs> scandal she'd definitely be the main character on journalism twitter for a day and get you know get in trouble when all that would come out She's like that reporter covering David Petraeus. Yeah, she could like, but like also people can FOIA stuff, so they could probably figure out that she was uh, taking taxpayer dollars for some of her reporting, and that would be pretty inappropriate. But yeah, so Gehagen is just this big boisterous guy. He's delightful. Uh, you know, he's he's you know half the time he's uh, singing, half the time he's spouting poetry. You don't really know why he's in the movie. But you know that the movie's better that he's in it. <laughs> so, okay, so the the whole setup is done, and, you know, they distract uh, McBride and Torchy from their wedding, and they run in to cover this new murder, 
And then, of course, the coroner bursts in. And, he, you know, they got some, like, junior coroner to do, go along with them, I think. But then the real coroner shows up and is like, this is a hoax. You should all be ashamed of yourself. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, my God, this guy is actually dead. So there actually has been the murder. And finally, like, eight hours in, that's the central mystery. Who killed this weird sex actor who will do anything for an earned media campaign? That's our mystery. That's the mystery. Who did it? Now we have a couple of suspects. We have the <laughs> the butler who turns out to be an actor. We have the maid who turns out to be an actor. We have uh old aunt the old aunt who lives in the house who turns out to be Hammond's wife. And those are sort of the the and we have the woman from the beginning who had the telegram breakup. So those are all the people who could have could have done it. They all have some reasons. The maid was being hit on by Hammond. The butler was the maid's husband-to-be and felt protective of her and felt, you know, upset that she was being harassed. And the wife was upset that he fell in love, you know, he, he was, you know, catting around, as they say. And then Who says that? Everybody says that, Kevin. That's the slang. Get with it. Come on. You are a 1930s person. <laughs> catting around? What are you, 90? <laughs> I only use the heppest, freshest slang around. So I don't know what you're talking about. I just can I just would urge you to get with it, Kevin. Get with it before it's too late. Now, uh oh yeah, so basically every, you know, this guy was a dog and he was, you know, running around uh with a bunch of ladies and causing all sorts of problems and somebody somebody put him out for that. So we got to figure out who. Now meanwhile, let's go back to our favorite gang of four reporters. Um, so they, they, their whole part of the scheme was to humiliate Torchy by publishing, you know, her paper fell for this big hoax. Ha ha. Like we pretended like this guy died and he didn't die. She meanwhile actually ended up getting the scoop because she reported what she saw, which was that the guy was strangled to death with his silk stocking. So her version actually, she manifested that into existence and a man is dead now. <laughs> and meanwhile, the other four reporters aren't laughing so much now that the joke has come true. <laughs> they call them, they force all the reporters in a room. They have Gehagen hold them at gunpoint. Yes. And again, Gehagen is the one you love. The guy holding reporters at gunpoint. This is your favorite character. I love this man. <laughs> How d You compared yourself to Gehagen in the last Torchy podcast. So don't act like you don't, you want, you want to be this man. You want to be the man holding reporters at gunpoint. <laughs> But only you. And these guys are so wily, you know, maybe they do need to hold them at gunpoint. They're so crazy. You know, Muggsy's like five seconds away from like just throwing himself headfirst out a window and screaming like, woohoo, on the way down. <laughs> these men are zany. They are dangerous. Okay, you don't know what they're going to do for the yucks. So they got to be safe. And yeah, they're holding these men at gunpoint, these journalists. They throw them in jail. And uh, it's, you know, then Torchy... Torchy's even upset by this treatment. She has enough solidarity with her fellow uh, members of the fourth estate that she kind of, uh, kind of is like, you know, maybe don't throw him in jail. I don't even know. I mean, like, would this be considered wasting public resources by like faking something like this or fraud? I, 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 the the, the ethical questions here are so convoluted. It's filing a false report. I mean. That's a crime. I know it's a crime, but like what? They're like, it's a crime, but then like, you know, it's awful that Torchy's reporting on the police like this and keeps getting scooped. I mean, it's just, who's right? <laughs> Nobody's right. Torchy, at this point, hasn't done anything illegal. Maybe that'll change in a few minutes. That might change. Yes. She's not wasted government resources by supplying false information. Ugh. Gehagen's about to shoot some, you know, press. I mean, McBride is given all the, but you know, yeah, it they they did do something illegal, and now somebody is dead because they're a hoax. I mean, awkward. Jesus. Have you ever had anyone die because of one of your jokes? Oh, all the time. But I, I kept it out of the press at least. Yeah, you're just screwed. have some have some fucking dignity. Come on. Keep your body count on the DL. I mean, he, oh, that sounded like sexual. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I meant like murder, not like uh, people you had sex with. 
Uh, tell that to people because that's, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. Bit of a tart. <laughs> now who's the 1930s person? Uh, I think you're the cat's pajamas. Oh, pfft. you're the bee's knees, Kevin. I just feel like I just also want to say before we go away and, and get more crazy, Gahagan shouting incoherently is literally the energy that this movie has. Everybody <laughs> talks very quickly. I think if the people in this movie talked at a normal rate, like I'm talking now, it would have been like at least two hours. Instead of, it runs an hour. <laughs> Let's do an example. I'll be Gahagan shouting incoherently. You be like torchy, like talking really fast, okay? Hey, Gahagan, we give me a ride? Hey, can we get out of there! <laughs> That's the energy this movie has. You don't know what's going on. Your your senses are being bombarded on every end. Like, it just doesn't make any sense, but it's kind of fun. I don't know if us yelling into the microphone right now was very fun, but the movie, I thought it was fun. I also liked how, I mean, the, 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 I liked how McBride seemed a bit more into Torchy and nicer to Torchy. In the first two movies, he seemed like he was, like, about to punch her out in every scene, which sucked and is creepy and, like, domestic abusive n- nastiness. I, di- I didn't like that. But in this movie, you're like, oh, he does, you know, in this movie, it's almost a different characterization where he's more of, like, kind of, like, quiet and subdued. He's not, he's not so angry. He's not really reacting with a lot of anger towards her. So that was a good adjustment for his character. They seem to like each other, but what do you make about the the fact that all through the movie, oh, we need to get married. Oh, we can't get married right now, so we can't get married. Oh, we need to get married. It's like, is it really that hard to find five minutes during the day to go get married? No. Do you think they really want to marry each other? Yes. Why don't they get married? Bad plot conventions. <laughs> It's a silly movie, that's why. They say, oh, that we have the Justice of the Peace here, just take a couple of minutes, but oh, I gotta go over to the hospital and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it would be better, yeah, it would, it, it, it's a bit of a silly kind of thing to, you know, why not just not have them want to get married immediately? <laughs> or just have them, I, I understand the plot starts because somebody wants to delay the marriage. But once the plot starts, why don't you just go have them go ahead and get married? Yeah. It, it wouldn't really affect the rest of the story. No, it really wouldn't. It would just in that tiresome running gag. Yeah, it is a very tiresome gag. You know, if I kept on making excuses, I, you know, Anya, I really want to marry you, but, uh, you know, uh, I got to go see a man about a horse. I think at some point you get the idea maybe Kevin doesn't want to marry Maybe me. Ma- Kevin wants to marry that horse. I'm very close to Scout. <laughs> We've had a lot of good times together. That's right. As as our as the former Indiana state governor said, there's nothing about the outside of the horse that feels better for the inside of a man. Or what was what was that weird thing he tweeted? You're, you're embarrassing yourself. There's nothing bad. Something like there's nothing better for the inside of a man than the outside of a horse. <laughs> That's the Indiana state motto, folks. When you saw that, you said, Kevin, we got to move to Indiana. <laughs> I want to go where this is happening. <laughs> Whatever this is. <laughs> you said, sign me up. <laughs> Good old Marlon bon- Bundo's owner. <laughs> Wonder what happened to him. Marlon Bundo? Yeah. I don't know. Hopped out of the public guy. <laughs> so, um... Speaking of, you know, crimes of, of <laughs> sorts, uh, let's talk about what Torchy does next. And maybe how this maybe puts her on footing with uh, Muggsy and the boys. Lay it on me. So, um, uh, Torchy steals a badge, Steve's badge, Steve McBride's badge, and pretends to be a police officer to get information about, uh, the case, specifically, uh, some Broadway paper that has information on uh, Hammond's play, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So she was impersonating a police officer. And then also, as long as we're talking about her crimes, there is a point she goes to a witness and basically suborns perjury. Mm-hmm. She says, I don't want you to tell what you saw. Here's what I want you to say you saw. 
if she, if she cooks up a wild story. Also, totally unforgivable thing to do as a journalist. I mean, it's also also illegal, but just yeah. Tell somebody to lie. Yes. Police officers. Uh, that's not good. No. <laughs> oh, Torchy. I will say on the on the journalism side, I do love Torchy's boss. His name is Max. He's always pictured just unbelievably disheveled. Not like not like Hollywood disheveled, but like actual <laughs> actually disheveled. He has got like a big fat tie that's tied wrong, a big dumb hat that's askew, his hair's crazy, it looks greasy and all fried up at the same time. I mean, this man looks like he just rolled out of a dumpster. So is that what you looked like when you were the editor of your college paper? That's what I look like now, goddammit. <laughs> that's what all good editors look like. No. That's what all good reporters look like, just slobs. I love it. I love this guy. This guy, he's always like, what's going on? What? What are you telling me? I love, I love Max. I mean, just this big, I mean, he's always incredulous, just doesn't believe what's going on. I love him. He's the audience surrogate. Yeah, that's us watching this. We're like smoking cigarettes, like squinting, staring, shaking our hands at the air. Like, what is this? I remember I kept on looking at you during this movie and said, what are we watching? We literally kept looking at each other and holding up our hands, palms up, just like, what? Because there's no other, you got to watch this movie with somebody else if you can, because that otherwise you're not going to get the full experience, because the full experience includes turning to people that you're with and, and just be shrugging and being like, that happened. I guess that was something that they thought that humans would do. Uh <laughs> How did Gahagan sum up all of this? Gahagan, again, him incoherently yelling, oh, is, is the kind of vibe of the movie. But he summed up the thesis of the movie as just confusion, always confusion. Thank you. That's why we love him, folks. Gahagan, the gentle giant of the Torchy Blaine universe. We love him. We salute him. The gentle giant. The gentle giant, except when he pulls guns on reporters. But those reporters had it coming. <laughs> can't trust Muggsy. Come on. I trust Muggsy. No, you don't. You can't. People trusting Muggsy allowed this whole fucking heinous crime to happen. Muggsy just is... Don't, don't be pissing on Muggsy and his sense of fun. And his joy of life. <laughs> you need a little bit of Muggsy in you. <laughs> when I need to be so bad at my job that I need three people to help me all the time. Oh, Muggsy. I love the fever dream energy of this whole film. There's like a dream logic to it, though, that I think the other two lacked. In the other two, it would be like, oh, Torchy's on. That's cool. Uh, Someone else is on. It's lame. In this one, it's like, Torchy's on. She's not in it enough. We still need more Torchy in this. But the people who are on in the interim are much more interesting and fun. For the most part. So speaking of the other people, I think at this point of the picture... There's uh, these old movies always have the scene where all the suspects are gathered together and everything is sorted out. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Torchy tricks McBride into marrying her again because they didn't get married last time. So she organizes it. So like basically the butler guy has been engineered, has been set up to take the fall uh, for the murder. And uh, the publisher of the globe where the four reporters work has like gotten him to sign a confession and gotten his wife to corroborate it, and now that's now the he's gonna fry because now the police have that and they they're gonna prosecute him. And Torchy's figured it all out, and she thinks that guy is you know the butler Hugo is innocent, and she gets everyone together and starts basically just like brings in the uh, woman she met at the beginning who got the breakup telegram. She turns out to be the wife of the publisher who okayed the story by the Muggsy in the gang. So she starts just viciously accusing her of killing the guy. This is a woman who is suicidal, who attempted to commit suicide in front of her by ingesting poison and has told her that she's, you know, better off dead because she's going to get accused of the crime. So she's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't kill yourself. I'll help you. And then she brings her into the police station and is just like, you did it, you bitch. Like, <laughs> so yikes. But also, um, you know, that, and, and the publisher is getting increasingly mad and is like, don't talk to my wife like that. McBride, you need to control your woman. And uh, things are getting crazy. 
Bring it home. Well, uh, the publisher confesses. The publisher? He did it because his wife was seeing Hammond, the actor, and he went, Hammond came to him and said, you know, you know, when he went to Hammond and said, hey, why don't we do this stunt? He intended to kill him to get him out of the way. So, you know, to save his marriage. So he snuck into the house and strangled uh, the guy when he was pretending to be strangled. And he bounced. And then he swallows a bunch of poison pills, too. Uh, after Torchy held up, you know, basically the wife, the wife uh, of the publisher during all this took a bunch of pills and then everyone's like, oh, she's going to die. And Torchy was like, actually, I swapped them for like some harmless aspirin or something. But after the publisher takes the pills. No, no. First, she holds it up and says, no, these are the real poison pills. These ones, the real ones that'll kill you dead. And then puts them on the table. And then the, and pub- then the publisher keeps looking at them. And then he takes them, and Tortree's view at this point is, oh, let's just let him die. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve takes him to the hospital to get his stomach pumped, and Tortree's genuinely upset that he does this. Just let him die, says Torchy. It's a hard broad. I'd love to watch this episode of Bridezilla's. <laughs> <laughs> it's my wedding, how dare you? But babe, I had to take the publisher to the hospital. He just swallowed a bunch of poison. But it's my special day. <laughs> Mascara streaked everywhere. If he's the newspaper publisher, he's one of the most prominent, most important citizens of the city. And Torchy just says, I'll just let him die. What, what do you, wait, wait, what do you, what do you deserve some big parade? He deserves to get medical attention. Anybody does. Why does him being prominent figure out into that decision? You're just an elitist, Kevin Greenlee. I'm just saying, if, if the, if the police made a concerted decision to just let this man die and stand aside, I think you would have friends and influential people raise a huge ruckus that wouldn't happen if it was a regular citizen. Yeah, I just also think that, like, if somebody ingested poison, you should take them to the hospital, no matter what. Even if it's, you know... Yes, Torchy's a monster. Some hobo. But, you know, it is her wedding, though. Let's give her that. (laughs) Planning a wedding is stressful, Kevin. You give Torchy a pass on this one. (laughs) Just give her a break. (laughs) She's been through a lot. And, uh, and, oh, and, and to add to the surrealness of the scene, as, as the publishers hustled out to go get his stomach pumped, Gahagan is walking in and looks, looks perplexed at the whole scene and says, what are they serving in there? When he said that, you just cackled in glee. Yeah, it's great. It's my shit. And, um, yeah, then we, uh, kind of just conclude with some more news about, uh, Torchy's wedding plans. First of all, she sent off uh, her uh, Max wants her to go off to Cleveland because she, in the previous movie she was like doing some plane stuff and they wanted her to do something there and he promises her a bonus and you know he's like oh you can get married there with you know Steve she's like people get married in Cleveland so she's uh, she's not impressed with Ohio um, our our friendly neighbor yeah Indiana's next to Ohio <laughs> pretty impressive you're pretty slick aren't you. Nothing gets past me except geography. And uh, and we found out something kind of fun about Stephen Torchy's now canceled uh, honeymoon plans. Want to talk about that, Kevin? Uh, they planned to uh, honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Why is that relevant? Uh, I know another couple who planned to uh, honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Hagen and his wife? Max and his wife? <laughs> Hugo and uh, Grace? The couple, uh, the couple of kids who got caught up in this murder plot? Is it Muggsy and his gal? That's what I was about to say. You and me. Yay. Yeah, we're going to go honeymoon. We're getting married uh, imminently. Because we are a 1930s movie couple. That's right. Perhaps by the time this drops, we'll already be married. Who knows? I don't know when this is going to drop. I don't either. Scheduling. I'm, I feel like we... It's like we publish something where we're in Indiana, and then other ones we're probably going back to Brooklyn, and people are like, what the fuck is going on? We're baffling our audience, so we apologize for not having a handle on things. But, uh... Anyway, Torchy just bounces then. Torchy gets on the plane. You know, McBride and Gahagan go racing up onto the tarmac together, you know, so that they can get finally married. Because she basically gave the marriage license to that other couple, Hugo and Grace. 
to get married. Is that how it works? I don't, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's not how it works. I don't think they're like cab medallions where you can just. <laughs> we applied for a marriage license and we had to give specific information about ourselves. Once that license is issued, I don't think we can just give it to anybody. Yeah, you can't be like, here, fifteen-year-olds who are in love, go nuts! Like, like otherwise, people would be buying marriage license like they buy liquor for people. You know, like that. You can't do that. It'd be like an underground marriage license black market. That ain't how it works. But anyway, um, and perhaps one way to get people to receive these black market marriage license would be via Telegram. There you go. I'm bringing it back home. You're bringing it back home. Give me your final opinion of this picture. Well, first. Before we call 30 on it. Before we say stop. <laughs> like in a telegram. I think, well, first of all, I want to note that there were, as, as Torchy flew off to Cleveland, uh, McBride pulled down Max's hat onto his face and like broke his hat and his face. And the, Can you imagine if like you, like a, Try to beat up one of my editors? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's so many professional ramifications here that this movie does not understand, nor does it care to, and I just love it. All right. Adventurous Blonde is an at-times baffling journey, but it certainly scoops the competition in terms of entertainment value. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me, He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.